We're, we're starting a, a brief series on The Matrix called The One, and this is part one, titled Being the One. In, in The Matrix, for those of you that have seen it, or for those of you that haven't, the plot is still the same. <laughs> the idea is that we are all captured in an illusion, that there's this computer-generated program that we live in, and we taste, and we touch, and we feel, and we think, and we go through our lives assuming that it's reality when the reality is we're kind of trapped in a cocoon somewhere and they're siphoning our energy and they're just feeding our brain signals. And in The Matrix, this character Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, who you just saw, believes that he's found the, the one to rescue us from The Matrix. The one, and he calls him the one. Throughout the whole movie, the idea is, is Neo the one? And it, it, there's, there's a lot of Christian parallels in the movie. Uh, he's, 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 he's almost the Messiah of sorts. It's, it's, he's supposed to come in and free all the people. And in the, in the clip you just saw, um, Morpheus describes the job of the one, what, what the one will do. And it says, his coming will hail the destruction of the matrix, end the war, and bring freedom to our people. And so in the movie... There's this idea that there is one person who will come in and he will liberate everyone. He, he will somehow tie into the matrix in such a way where he has power and he can destroy the programs and, and the computers. And I, that, that idea of the one has always stuck with me as kind of unfair. Um, my son, a, a, a few months ago, was, became a VIP in a computer game that we play. We signed him up for a VIP account, and some of you I've told this. And we were walking, down, walking through the park one day, and I was telling him you know, something about being a VIP. And he said, what is a VIP? And I said, a VIP is a very important person. And he got real quiet, and he walked for a while. And after a while, he said, Dad, he said, he said I think that dishonors God. He said, because we're all important people. Which, uh, proud daddy moment. You guys are all like, just shut up. But, <laughs> so when I talk about the one, here, here's how I want to address it. I want to I address this idea, and the whole idea of the series of the one is that you are the one. That Brett is the one, and Bailey is the one. They're married, and they're both the one. My, my, I have three kids, and I, I, Judson, Siler, and Elena. And I will sneak into Siler's room at night, and I will whisper in his ear. I'll say, Siler, you know what? And he'll say, what? And I'll say, you're my favorite. But then I'll hold Elena the next day, and I'll say, Elena, you know what? And guess what I tell her? You're my favorite. And I tell Judson, and he just goes, drools at this point. This is one of the times that it's safe and fair to disobey the law of non-contradiction. It's okay for all your kids to be their favorite, your favorite. And I, I, Bill DeGoyer is the one. Kate Barron is the one. You guys are all the one. And, and I think your identity and how you view yourself impacts greatly how you walk through life. Uh, there, I have a good friend, Dave Heigel, and he, he runs Site 61 where we're doing some ministry nowadays, and he's, he's preached the same sermon a couple times that I've heard. And he, he says this. He says, the devil has one crappy tool in his crappy toolbox, and that that crappy tool is challenging your identity. And some, some of you believe the devil is a, personal, uh, a person, and some of you believe he's an impersonal force, and we're a reach-across-the-aisle church. There's various views on the devil in here. I, I tend to view the devil as personal. But I think if I'm the devil, one of the main tools that I use is this idea of questioning your identity. I never want you to recognize that you are the one. I want you to see yourself as just one of the lemmings going through life, one of the cattle in the herd. I never want you to recognize how truly important you are as a specific individual. 
And there's a, and there, there's a couple ways that I can keep you from recognizing that you're the one. And, and what I believe the devil does is, is twofold. Number one, he'll whisper to you that you are nothing, a nobody. See, if, he can, if you can embrace an identity of being a nothing or being a nobody, he's got you. You're, you're powerless at that point. You're not going to break the matrix. You're just going to move on with the computer programming your entire life and, and embrace whatever comes. He'll, or, or, he'll, or he'll take your failures and the things, because some of what he says is true, and we'll get to that in just a moment. You are one among billions. You are a tiny speck in a massive universe, and he'll take those little things and he'll milk them, and he'll just say, this is your identity. And so when, when Dave Heigl preaches over in Portland, he, a lot of times he's talking to prostitutes and, and gangsters. And he'll say, if you, if you view yourself as a prostitute, if you view yourself as a gangster, if you view yourself as a person in poverty, if you view yourself as a wretch, then you're going to act that way. But if you start to view yourself as a child of God, if you start to view yourself as the special creation that God created you to be, it will change how you, how you, how you live your life. So the devil, he'll, he'll try to tell you you're nothing, you're a nobody, and he'll drive that home to the point where you're just utterly defeated. Or he'll whisper, you are really something special. This is the other way he'll mess with your identity. The other way is to say that you are above everybody else, that you're so spectacular that the, the, you're not part of the herd, you're not part of the cattle, all those cattle are out there, all the lemmings are out there, you're not following them, you're just, you're something special, and you want to walk around with your chest stuck out and your chin up because... Man, you, you got it going on. And he'll, and, and he'll feed that and get you off your actual identity. But here's what he's doing. He's taking a reality and he's twisting it. Because if you read scripture, you're going to find out real quick you're nothing and you're a nobody. You're going to find out that this is a massive universe and that there's this massive God who is way beyond your comprehension in charge and it's spinning out of control and you have no power at all. And that that ought to humble you. Scripture is going to teach you humility over another. In humility, value others above yourselves. When pride comes, comes disgrace, but humility comes, brings wisdom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humility comes before honor. So part of Scripture is to recognize that you're kind of nobody. But then it says you're really something special. It says, before I formed you. It says, God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That means I made you holy. I set you aside for a particular purpose. And it says, I have appointed you. Now, he's speaking specifically to another person. We have to be careful in Scripture not to read what God said to someone else and read it to us. But this principle that God consecrates people and that he designs people with a purpose, is it permeates Scripture. It's everywhere. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. I am skillfully wrought. Jesus said to the crowds, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. In my case, it's like 12. Even, <laughs> even the heads on your, he knows the number of heads on your, hairs on your head. He says, fear not for you are great. You, he says to the crowd, the crowd of poor people that have come to follow him. He says, you guys are of great value. Don't worry. God's got this. And of course, we find out in the cross, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that you were worth the life of the Son of God. So there's this thing that happens in Scripture that says you're kind of nothing and you're kind of a nobody and you ought to realize that. And then you're kind of the center of the universe and you ought to realize that too. And how, how do we do that? And here's what I believe. I believe God has one really fantastic tool. 
He has one really, he's got a lot of tools in his toolbox, but this is, this is the kicker. In Scripture, it teaches us that God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, and here's, here's the answer, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, we, we, we heard at the beginning that the coming of the one would break the matrix in the war and rescue people. Jesus, when he stood up at the beginning of his ministry, this is, this is how he started preaching. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, I came to break the matrix. I came to break the hold of a society and a culture that is kind of crushing people and, and, and hurting people. I came to set people who were blind, I came so that they could see. People who were in chains, I came so that they could be free. And what we find in God's amazing toolbox is the idea that that same Christ is offered to you. A lowly nothing spinning out of control in a universe beyond our power. That the God of the universe says, I will come in and I will fill you and take that, that, that beautiful you that I designed you to be and maximize it. I'll make it everything it was supposed to be. I, I saw a tweet this week. A guy says, what's usually left out of the made-for-greatness speeches is Jesus' redefinition of what greatness is. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you are the one, and I, I feel like you ought to walk around with your head hell high. I do. I think that, th that you were designed as a child of God. God put breath in your lungs, and that's a miracle. You're a walking miracle from head to toe. You are a, a, a beautiful, amazing creation of a mighty God. I believe that. And so this is kind of a made-for-greatness sermon. I'm, I'm not going to try to hide that. But when I, when I talk about being great, I want to dive into what that kind of means. And I want to I I talk about three... I, I never do this. I feel just really stupid doing it. But I'm going to talk about three R's today. That I, oh, it's just embarrassing. I really try not to be that guy, but here it is. Number one is recognize the Father's love. So you better recognize. I, that's what I, every time I hear the word recognize, you better recognize... I heard, uh, you guys have heard of The Shack, and the author, Nick, what's, it, what's the author's name? Nobody knows. I don't even know either. One of the most famous authors of our time. What is it? William Paul Young. That's what I said, William Paul Young. And William Paul, you know, love or hate The Shack, again, reach across the aisle church. Some of you hate it, some of you absolutely love it, but there's a quote that I heard in an, in, in an interview with him recently where he said this. He said, it took 50 years for me to remove the face of my father from the face of God. We, we are indoctrinated in our image of what God is like by the love that we have received from others, and all of us have received poor examples of love from people our entire lives. Nobody's, nobody's great at love. And so if you, if you base your idea of what love is based on what you have seen in people, it's always going to fall short of the amazing love of the Father that is God. It's really spectacular that God, the creator of the universe, he spoke the universe into creation with his words, would allow you to even use the term father. That that's how he would reveal himself to you, is as a father. He could have said, mighty emperor, you know, hail Caesar. He could, he could be the king of the universe. That's, every time you pray, it should be, oh, great God who could squash me. But that's not, when Jesus taught us to pray, how did he start? Our father. And in, in other passages, Jesus talks about the, lo the love of a good father. I was at the playground out by the Big Four Bridge recently, and I was watching a kid. 
and he was spinning one of these. I don't know if you guys have been over there, but there's this really nice playground there. And uh, I was there just kind of walking and praying. And there was a kid who was walking, running around this thing as fast as he could, getting it spinning as fast as he could, as fast as he could. And then he'd back up and he'd run and try to jump on it, which I thought was the dumbest thing I ever saw, right? <laughs> the, ki- the kid is, he's probably nine, 10 years old. And I'm not knowing if I should intervene, but then I'm thinking I'm the creepy guy at the playground intervening with it. So I'm like, no, I'm out, right? But he, and, and he's bouncing off this thing over and over and landing in the dirt. And then near him is a girl doing cartwheels, and she would do a cartwheel, and then she would look around to make sure people had seen her. And then there was another kid that, that they have this, like, makeshift xylophone. They're basically tubes that hang from little ropes, and you can ding, 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 ding. You can play a little tune on it, just banging away at that thing. And, and I, 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 I'm just, I, I love to people watch. And I'm watching these kids, first off, this mixture of how really lame they are. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But then I'm thinking from the perspective of a parent, wow, how awesome they are. And that's, that's how a father would view his child. Let's face it, kids drool. My, my son Judson, you know, we have this little, we have a coffee table right now. <laughs> And it has little holes in it where you can lift up and there's storage underneath. And he loves to stick his hands down in those holes, but every time he does, he gets stuck. And he screams, Aah! I mean, scre- the most ear-piercing, awful scream. So you come over, Juddy, okay, and you help him out, and you take him out, and I'm not, t- I'm not joking, three seconds later, he goes, <laughs> and sticks it right back in there. And you're just like, you are a big dummy, right? But you're really cute at the same time, and I'm conflicted. And that's who you are as the one. And it's okay to be that. And recognize that the, the, the Father loves you. In the Song of Solomon, it describes you as God's beloved. What a beautiful phrase. So, so you describe the Father as Father, and then He describes you as His beloved. I love this picture. I just think it's a killer picture. And it, it's this idea that God is romancing you and loving you and wants to be intimate and close with you. And that's, that's what gives you value. And then if you're real, you don't have to look any further than the cross. Jesus made it, made it clear, there is no greater love in the universe than to lay your life down for someone else. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's what Easter is all about. He said, I'm going to lay down my life. You don't need any further proof that there is a God in the universe that adores you, that will go to any length to be close to you to be your beloved, to be your father. So part of having the identity where you can hold your head high and you can walk through the world as the one that you were designed to be, the unique individual that God designed you to be, is recognizing the love of this incredible father that has been bestowed on you. Secondly, I want you to learn how to rest in your own inability. Again, first off, I want you to answer, I want to teach you to silence your cell phones, okay? No, I... I I, in fact, I, I don't even know that I silenced mine, so mine may go off at any time. No big deal at all. But rest in your own inability. It's okay to stare at the stars and think, wow, I am nothing, and it's a reality. But there's a difference between recognizing your smallness and a voice in your head that says, that's what you were designed to be, is nothing. Worthless. Incapable. Poor. Addict. There's all kinds of words that the devil will try to whisper in your ear that aren't the reality of your life. It's okay to recognize your smallness and the lack of power. It's another thing to embrace that identity. <laughs> Come on, people. Help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> I 
The reason you think that you couldn't possibly be the one may be precisely why you're perfect for the job. You may, you may think that because uh, somebody mistreated you and you've always been bitter, for example, you may think, I just can't get past that. That might be precisely why you can break the matrix. The love of a, an incredible father may be able to come in and purify that and take ashes and make them beautiful. And then, then all of a sudden, you're Neo and you're flying through the sky with infinite power. You, you've, you've broken out of the matrix. It, and you're going to be able to help people in the same situation that, that maybe I could never help. You're going to be able to help people that Molly Bond could never help. You're going to be able to touch lives that somebody else couldn't touch. And the reason you think maybe that I'm stuck as kind of a nobody and part of the lemmings and part of the herd might be exactly why you're perfect for the job. It's never possible to trace whether Einstein actually said a quote because he gets quoted a thousand times on things he never actually said. It's like Abe Lincoln said, never believe anything that you read on the internet. Albert Einstein is supposed, is supposed to have said, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, and the idea is that you may feel like in order to be the one, you have to be a particular type of one, and that's not the reality, is you have to be the one that God designed you to be. Fish weren't made to fly. Fish weren't made to climb trees. You were designed to do something unique and powerful in this life, that will impact the world around you, but it's your gig, it's your deal. It's not somebody else's, it's not somebody else's picture of, of what that is, it's not what somebody else thinks that should look like. It's who you have been designed to be. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. I was praying a few weeks ago, and I have, I have just like anybody else, moments of feeling inadequate and wondering if I'm up to the task and, and I'm praying about that and asking God about it. And I feel like, sometimes I feel like God talks to me and this is what I feel like God told me that day. Take it or leave it. You may think this is God. You may think it's my imagination. Either way, I think it's, it's, it's important. I feel like God said this to me. He said, I have designed you in a certain way and you've always been uncomfortable with that, thinking you should be like someone else. I want to make you the best version of you. I think part of being the one, part of, to look around and to say, you're God's favorite. I think part of that is, is to come to the place where you're really comfortable in your own skin, where you're really comfortable with the type of person God designed you to be without comparison to who other people are. Steve Martin is doing a master class right now. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Kevin Spacey did it for acting for a while. So you can hire Steve Martin as your personal comedy coach nowadays, and I wanted to show you real quick part of his advertisement for that. The reason I wanted to show it to you is because you probably, some of you, now you, some of you do walk around, go, many people think, and that needs to be broken too, but that's kind of not what we're dealing with today. <laughs> many people think I have no talent, I'm broken, I, I don't deserve a place in the church, I don't deserve the friendship of God. And it's just simply not true. It's just like Steve Martin saying, I had no talent. In, in, in a certain way, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of broken people. And kind of the more broken you are, the better off you are in the kingdom of God. Kind of the more that you can just say to God, wow, I, I need you. Man, that's about the best place you can possibly be in all of life. 
So here's my third R, and I went through all kinds of different ideas on what R to use, but I went with relinquish. When you look at a hot air balloon, hot air balloons are kind of nothing. They're just fabric and hot air, which is kind of like some of you. <laughs> Thomas Merton said this, he said, when I cease to think of myself explicitly for a high and arduous and special vocation in the church, in other words, he said, I, I gave up being a priest. I stopped thinking about being a pastor. He says, I tended automatically to slacken my will, to relax my vigilance, to order my acts to nothing but an ordinary life. I simply slipped into the ranks of the millions of tepid and dull and sluggish and indifferent Christians who live a life that is still half animal and who barely put up a struggle to keep the breath of grace alive in their souls. There's the key. There's the key to relinquishment, is that breath of grace alive in your soul. A hot air balloon, you can, you can give it a little bit of juice, and it'll just kind of float along the ground and crash and burn. But if you give it enough of the breath, if, if, if you give it the right stuff, it will soar in the sky, trusting the wind. You don't pilot a hot air balloon. All you do is kind of give up to it. You kind of measure the currents of the air and look at the weather patterns and say, is this a pattern I want to be in or not? And if it is, you go up. You relinquish control to the elements. You just say, I'm going up. And you see sights that people don't get, normally get to see. You experience an adventure that people don't normally get to experience. But it's out of your control. You don't have a whole lot of control. You're still involved in the process, but you're not piloting this thing. And when it comes to being the one, that's the deal. You don't get to pilot. You don't, you, don't, you don't get to form and order everything. It's more like just relinquishing control and watching what God does. In 1 Corinthians it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In John it says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. So this is, this is how to do what God wants. It says, believe in him who he has sent. Jesus said, put your trust in me. You know, he, he could have said, okay, do this, this, and this. Sacrifice these amount of cattle and obey these moral laws and make sure you eat only these foods and treat people this particular way. But that's not what he said at all. They said, what do we do to please God? Jesus said, trust me. I got this. And if you want to be the one, and you are designed to be the one, a nobody who is everything in the world, you are designed to be that person, and what it comes down to is being filled with the one who is the one who is the one. And that was Jesus. This same guy that tweeted earlier, and I have no idea who this guy is, but I'm following him on Twitter now. He said, so this is Good Friday, and there's this voice that comes from the cross. Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me to God? Jesus, the Son of God, who's always been in touch with God, all of a sudden is abandoned in his relationship with the Father and feels left alone. And he says, why, 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 why? And it says, that same voice later cried, into your hands I commit my spirit. Unanswered question, unwavering trust. So you might up, up until this point in your life think, you know, where has God been? All that stuff that happened to me. And what Jesus would say is, I got this. I, I, I'm in the ebb and flow of all of that. I, I'm looking at who you are as an individual and what you've gone through and who you've been and how you were abused and how you were mistreated and how you were left unloved and how you were abandoned. 
or how you felt skillless or how you felt unliked. I've been working in that entire mess and I'm just wanting to lift you up and carry you on the wind. That's what God wants to do. I want to talk very briefly about some individuals in this church that I think are doing that well. And Sydney Ansel is right here. Hey, there's a picture of you on a big movie screen right there. Just threw it right up there. Today is five, day, five years of soberness for you, right? Now, I've, I've, I've heard some of Sydney's story, and six years ago, you were an entirely different person from what I hear. Um, and now you're really consistent in just loving people, serving people. You do it in your job. You do it with your family. You do it with your church. And I, I adore you. I, you're the one. And, you know, I, I watch your relationship with your kids. You skip church every now and then to spend time with your kids. Don't tell everybody, but I like that quite a bit. Okay? Sydney is the one. She's, she's glorifying God. She's riding, riding the wind of Jesus. And it looks good. It looks good on you. I, I don't know what you looked like six years ago, but, man, it's working. I don't have a picture of Ed Carter. Ed, I'm sorry I didn't have a picture of you, so I used this picture instead. <laughs> I sat down with Ed a month and a half, two months ago, and heard his story, and I asked his permission to share this, but Ed spent three years in prison a while back for a crime he did not commit. Uh, he waited in, in prison for three years to go to trial to, to be exonerated. Um, I was telling somebody else that story just recently, and they talked about how easy it would be to be bitter. I mean, three years of your life of sitting in a cell eating crap food Right? The crap food would be the hardest part for me, I, I feel like. But the guy has the light of life in him. I mean, just get to know him and you'll see it. And now what he wants to do, he wants to go back into prisons and minister to people that are there. Now, he could hole up and just be angry and bitter and, and think about what God stole from him. I mean, he could, he could, he could become that person, but not at all. He's, he's, he's the one. I mean, you are, and, and God's going to take the one that is Ed, Ed Carter and do amazing things with him. Nope, never did. Now, some of you right now are thinking, I hope he doesn't put my face on that screen. And some of you secretly are thinking, man, I hope I get up there. Some of you are nothing. Some of you think you're everything. <laughs> Elaine and Stu McRae, where are you guys? Hey, guys. Uh, these guys are retired and spend half of their year in Texas and half of their year here. Uh, I think we get you for a slighter, larger proportion of that, don't we? Yes. And they came to the church about a year ago, and uh, they live in Taylorsville, which is a decent hike from here. Uh, but every week, just about every week, I think it's pretty much every week, they drive over to Portland to Site 61, and, and they serve the, the impoverished community there, working with Dave Heigl, who I mentioned earlier, and um, distributing food. And it's, it's back-breaking work. It's hard labor. And they show up on time and get it done and organize and serve. And it's just exciting to watch people who I think are being the one, people who are sacrificing their own lives, riding the, the wings of the wind, and, and letting Jesus take them where Jesus wants to take them. And then this still says Elaine and Stu McRae. I, that is not Elaine and Stu <laughs> McRae. This is Matt and Amanda Chalmers. And I'm assuming this is Caleb, right? This is not some other baby that you guys picked up. Are they even back here? Emma. This is Emma? Okay, that's Emma. <laughs> These guys have partnered with Site 61 and Dave Heigl. And this isn't a Site 61 sermon, but 
they've partnered with those guys and have taken it upon themselves, and they live east of the Gene Snyder, and so it's, it's a decent hike to get to Portland for them every Sunday. But every Sunday night, they go over there, and they prepare and serve food to the people who come to his church. And so right now, it's probably 25, 30 people each week. Is that about accurate? Yeah. That's, what, that's what you guys prepare for? And uh, way to brag, man. They serve people, and it's a long hike, and he works a lot of hours. But they, they have put it upon themselves to make sure that that community gets food every Sunday. And, and about a year ago, Site 61 was running about four people on a Sunday night. And you start offering food, and you start making food consistent, and people start coming in a little bit more, and it's growing. But that's a lot of responsibility to say, I'm going to feed 25 people once a week. It's a lot of expense. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of driving. And yet they have said, and we never asked them to do it. We never pushed them to do it. They just saw this need that was out there. And, uh, and they did it. And so thank you guys. I love you guys and appreciate what you're doing. I think you're being the one. So here's my question to you. Having heard all that and this, this idea that God has made you a unique individual and, and you've gone through some trials, you've, you've become a particular personality, but you are designed. I, I, see, I see Byron Ryan out here and Byron just approached me a couple weeks ago asking um, for for a recommendation because he's starting with prison ministry as well. And I could, I, I could easily go through this entire church and, and look at faces and, and talk about how some of you are serving and, and letting Jesus carry you through life. But my question to all of you is, who is the resurrected you? Because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Easter. We're talking about a God who died brutally, tortured to death. And so as gods go, this is a nobody God, right? In Greek society... In Roman culture, you look at a God who was crucified, and cruci crucifixion was for thieves and scoundrels and people who had rebelled against government. And so you've got this God who died. He made himself nothing. It's kenosis. It's Philippians 2. He, he made himself lower so that he could make other people look great. And then there's Easter. There's resurrection. You are really somebody special. You are something that God is taking out of a grave, out of a tomb, and has designed to do the works of God, to do that passage that we read earlier that says, recovery of sight for the blind, releasing the captives, liberty for those who are oppressed. That's who you were designed to be. That's who you are as a person. I'm not even talking about church culture here. I'm talking about, I hope you could embrace as a, as a singular person, as an individual, I really am something, I'm nothing that is super special. Whoa, whoa, what's going on here? I hope you can recognize that you were created to release the oppressed. You were created to be resurrected. You were created to be the one.